Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're talking about the Kingdom of God and uh, and His righteousness, which we're supposed to be uh, seeking. And uh, you know the what what is the righteousness of Christ? What is the righteousness of God? How does that work? Uh, where do we find that if we were looking for the righteousness of God? And uh, I, I was looking at a number of things trying to figure out what it was that uh, we should talk about today. Kind of seemed to be a last minute thing to uh, set this uh, topic up. I was going through just one thing after another, whether I was going to go through Galatians or whether, whether I was going to go through Zechariah. I've been working on these or the word mischief, which shows up. You know, quite a few times in the Old Testament, only once in the New Testament, completely different words. But in the Old Testament, mischief shows up uh, at least three different words, completely different words. And we talked about this morning on this morning's show, Deuteronomy, how they had numerous words that could mean destroy and are translated destroy, but they're completely different words. And words like smite. And you get this idea that the Bible is teaching something very violent that you're supposed to go around and smite other people. It says right in Deuteronomy that God is delivering the people ahead of you. And somehow or other he's using something called hornets, uh, which we see in Exodus and Jeremiah. And that helps uh, uh, eliminate the obstacle of these people in the land that you're supposed to go and possess. Now, when you go and possess that land, you have to possess that land without oppressing the people that live there. So you can't come in and conquer and kill people and all that kind of stuff because that isn't in accordance with what it says in the text. It is according to what some people uh, translate the text as, but we showed this morning that the word smite really has to do with faith. We showed that the word destroy has to do with faith and the the double faith in spirit and truth and and how it's the flow of this righteousness uh, that and you can't be oppressing people with possessing the land so you can't be driving out people and uh, you have a completely different view of the old testament which comes to you by way of the pharisees who translated it for everybody and then everybody says, well, Jesus is going to do it different than Moses. Well, we see Jesus and Moses together in the New Testament along with Elijah. And they seem to all be in agreement. It's not like Jesus is inventing something new. It's new to what we were told the Pharisees were doing. But it's not new to God. Nor is it new to Moses. or Nor was it new to Abraham. It's new to those who misinterpreted Moses so bad that they didn't even know Christ. And so anyway, we've gone through that. We've had two shows, four hours on Deuteronomy, and so we pretty much have it covered. So we're not going to go through that again. But it is important. And, and the reason I go all the way back to Deuteronomy, and, and in when we're doing our study, I took some of the words uh, all the way back to... Uh, 
And, and I will do that in the mischief deal all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, and whatever the Garden of Eden was. The Garden is a guarded place, a protected place, a place where the full armor of God is on you, a place where you're supposed to have possession, dominion over the land and over your rights granted to you by God. But uh, in Deuteronomy 7, it talks about you going back into the bondage of Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. You're not going to go back in it, are you? And yet we have people who think that Christ came to say, well, we're going to do away with the law. I'm going to have you all go back into the bondage of Egypt in the last days. You won't own your labor. You won't own your children. You'll be subject to the whims of uh, the medical institutions who will want to force injections into you that will change your DNA. You know, that that's interesting. In several studies I was looking at this last week were it is evidently that they've come out and they say, yes, absolutely, to a reverse transcription, the mRNA is altering DNA in the body. Is it altering the, the double helix in the cell itself? They don't know. Of course, Pfizer and Moderna and these guys are saying, no, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's sloughed out of your body. Yet, we have studies that are going months, two months, three months, and it's still in the people's body and the and their body is still replicating in some instances still replicating the uh spike protein so what what's happening it, the the fact is is that we've just seen uh decades of cases concerning gmos where somebody can invent a gmo spill the seed into your field and now they can force you to destroy your crop because some of your crop crossed with their GMO. So now they have authority over your crop, can, uh, over your farmland. You have to destroy your crop because some of their manufactured GMO that they patented is now repeating itself in seed that you're, you grew all your life, your father grew all his life, and your grandfather grew all their life, but you have to terminate that and get rid of that because they now have a property right in the seeds that you grow because they spilled GMO into the ditch when they were driving by, GMO seeds into the ditch, and it crossed with your plant. So now you have to destroy yours. They couldn't contain it. It got into your field and now you can't have your field anymore. All your field has to go. That's like you've, you've genetically altered a bull so that it is, is not just, you know, crossbreeding. It's genetically altered somehow, the seed of that bull. And they let that bull in with your purebred livestock. And you have to destroy all your livestock because their bull got in with your livestock. That's what the courts now say. They now rule that. That you you lose your property value because they, some of the altered DNA that they created is now in your livestock. You have to kill your livestock. Well, they've altered DNA, synthetic mRNA, and now they're putting it into your body. And it seems to be staying there, according to studies, independent studies. 
And it could get into your uh, genome. We know that it, it centers itself in the reproductive organs. Although you become seem to be becoming less fertile. But what happened if it altered the actual double helix? Now who owns you? Who owns your children? Now that's crazy. That's science fiction stuff. But we've just seen them doing it for the last decades with seeds and livestock. They now have a property right in you. They, you, you received their synetic invented, patented injections that are causing your body to generate viruses. I mean, it, your body is, what your body is doing is producing a synthetic mRNA with a spike protein. Your body doesn't know what to do with it. It does all kinds of other things. But who owns you now that you've got the injection? If it's still living in you, then they have a property right in you. By all the cases that I've seen flowing around. But that's not what we're talking about today. We were going to talk about bread. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I may jump all around. But another article I was working on is Savior. You know, we we call Jesus the Savior. Well, at that particular time in history, Augustus Caesar was the Savior of Rome. He was Lord and Savior. You had to, you had to annually burn incense to Augustus Caesar, because the genius of Augustus Caesar was providing all the social welfare of society. It wasn't that way originally in Rome, but now he was feeding the people. Taking care of the people. Julius Caesar kind of started it, but he never really was Caesar. I mean, his name was Caesar, but he never was the imperator when he tried to take that position. Brutus at the Bute went and stabbed him. And along with other guys, you know, Cassius and all that stuff. And then the civil war resulted. But Augustus... Octavius, who became became known as Augustus Caesar, became the imperator with an oath of office and the, the apotheos and the principal civitas of Rome. And then Jesus comes along and they're calling him Savior. And they won't sign up for the temple welfare, for the bread of the temple. They won't go and apply for the bread of the temple because that's idolatry. Because in the temples they were pagan. And uh, somebody, that's what we're, that's where we're going to go. I'm not going to do the bread thing. Uh, somebody wrote something on Facebook about a book that was released. Pagan Christianity. And, uh, this Pagan Christianity, it's a book called Pagan Christianity. Uh, Frank Viola, is that the guy's name? Uh, I can't remember who all was the authors of it. Uh, George, uh, Barna and Frank Viola. Uh, it's a Barnes book and, uh, it was printed in 2008. And I wouldn't waste my time buying it if I were you. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I I put down as a 
in the notes for setting up this program that we talk about Deuteronomy. Well, we're pretty much done talking about Deuteronomy, but I may make reference to it. But uh, supposedly this book ruffles some feathers uh, in the author's attempt to explore the roots of our church practices. They aim their guns at nearly every aspect of the institutional church. Well, Christ instituted a church. There's no two ways about that. He says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. He picked out, you know, 12 guys. He picked out more than that, but 12 guys remained with him, and that's what he says. You are the ones who remain with me, so we have to assume that they picked out other guys. And and we know that uh, through a lot of apocryphal writing and other things, that, and, and through the Bible, that he picked out 70, and he sent out 70. And... The 70, that's an odd number to pick out, but that's exactly what Moses did. Moses picked out 70, and uh, and he sent them out. So was Jesus doing the same thing? Because at that particular time, there was another group called the Sanhedrin, which means the 70. There's actually about 72 guys, but it's the 70. And they had a particular role to pl- play. And like I say, historically we know that the Sanhedrin had a collapse because a large percentage of them left. They didn't have a quorum anymore. And they left because of corruption. And then along comes Jesus appointing another 70. And that 70 went out and preached what Jesus was preaching. And they were casting out demons and all this stuff. Casting out demons, it all depends on how you... You know, today they say, well, he doesn't have a demon, he's schizophrenic. Or he has some sort of mental disease. Well, the point is, whatever it was, whatever you want to say it was, whether it's a spiritual influence or a combination of spiritual and physical influence, people got better. And and people got better healing-wise. Now, some people don't want to believe that. Well, then it probably won't happen to them. See, those people who are getting a picture of what the kingdom of God looks like, where people are sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and taking care of 100% of all social welfare through faith, hope, and charity, like John the Baptist was doing, like Jesus said to do, like the apostles are doing in the early church, and persecuted for doing that, because they wouldn't sign up with the free bread of Rome. So, what's the free bread of Rome that they wouldn't sign up for? Well, it's the same free bread that we see David talking about. David was talking about free bread. He said, what should have been for your welfare had become a snare. And, and Paul's quoting David, right? But is that the only thing that David ever said about free bread? Well, no. He said other stuff. What else did he say? You know, I can pull up here on the Bible software right now. Let's see. Psalms. Uh, Psalms 14.4. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up the my people. They eat up my people as they eat bread. And call not upon the Lord. How do you eat up people while you're eating bread? Well, you, you've got a king who forces the contributions of the people. And then the king provides you with free bread. 
And so when you take a bite out of that bread, you're taking a bite out of the people. Because the ruler took from the people to give you free bread. Or pay off your student loan or provide you with health care. You see, you have to bite your neighbor to get those things. In Psalms 37, 25, he says, I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread? Well, you, you may be begging bread in the future. Because people have rejected. They don't call upon the Lord. They call upon FDR and Obama and, and Trump. Give us a stimulus check. Give us free bread. Caesar. Free bread of Caesar. Christians would die rather than apply for the free bread of Rome. Because they knew that covetousness is idolatry. Desiring those benefits is idolatry. And it says so in the New Testament. Psalms 41, uh, 9. Yay, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Well, we just had riots. And most of those people that were in riots, they get all kinds of free bread. They get welfare. They get uh, all kinds of benefits. They can live better than kings on welfare today. Better than kings. That's right. They have more food choices to eat from. They don't always make wise choices and sometimes the check doesn't run out the whole week. But they can get rent, rent subsidies and free bread and all that stuff. What's the deal? Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? It says that again in Psalms 53.4. Have the workers of iniquity. Jesus talks about workers of iniquity. Who eat up my people... As they eat bread, they have not called upon God. So that same, that, that's in 53, uh, Psalm 53 verse 4. So he repeats that. It's twice. Double witness. It's like a double tahal. Psalm 78 20. Behold, he smote the rock and the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Well, are they talking about Moses struck the rock? Well, what if I went and struck a rock and water came out? <laughs> Would you then sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands? O oh, ye of little faith. See, there are people actually in the network who say, Hey, this will never happen. Why are you in the network? Just go away and die. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have faith, you don't have belief. If it doesn't happen, you're as good as dead anyway. Because life isn't going to stay the same. Psalms 85. Thou feedest them with bread of tears and givest them tears to drink. In great measure. So whose tears are you drinking? Who, who who are you 
wiping the tears of your neighbor? Or are you going to, in the last days, say, oh, I need, I need to take from my neighbor. I need to, to receive from the benefactors who exercise authority. You know, actually, in uh, Psalms 102, it says, For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Sounds rough. That's that's not as rough as it's going to get. And wine that maketh glad heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. That doesn't come from legal charity. That comes from fervent charity. Because man does not live by bread alone. And he certainly does not live by the bread that was forced from your neighbors. Through men who exercise authority one over the other. So we should not be going that route. We should be going another way. But everybody wants to keep sleeping. They, they don't want to do what is right. They don't want to do what is righteous. They don't want to practice pure religion. Proverbs tells you, For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Because all those benefits come to you because men who exercise authority, one over the other, are taking from somebody else. Yeah, somebody uh, did a video on Facebook where it was a teacher telling her young students that she has a roommate and they said well is it a girl and she says neither was it a boy or a girl no it's neither well does it have a boy name or a girl name neither well what is it dressed like does it dress like a boy or a girl and she's saying neither because it's supposedly one of these new fangled genders and people were saying this is amazing this is unbelievable and I says, what's unbelievable is that people think they're Christians and are forcing their neighbors under threat of violence to pay for this woman's salary so that she can indoctrinate your children. And you call that normal. You think you're a Christian. No, you're not. You can't be a Christian and covet your neighbor's goods. You have to repent of that. You can't knowingly, daily sin against the very foundation of the teachings of righteousness and still claim to be seeking righteousness. It's either one or the other. It's like, you're not on a diet. You're eating all this junk. That's not a diet. You're taking a bite out of one another. You're cannibals. Devouring one another. And even though you figuratively do it, you actually in essence do it. I mean, what you force from your neighbor, the contributions you force from your neighbor, that's their sweat and toil and blood. And you keep doing it. And you think you're a Christian. What nonsense. You know, in, in Proverbs twenty thirteen it says, Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. 
upon thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. But the slothful shall be under tribute. People, the folding of their hands, the slumber, and, and not waking to righteousness. They don't want to know righteousness. They, they want to keep doing the same old, same old. The old normal is what brought you the new normal, and the next normal will be brought to you by that. You have to get back to the righteousness of God. There is no other way. So, I did a page years ago, and uh, one of the first things that it says on that, it's about daily bread. Matthew six eleven. Give us this day our daily bread. So when does he say that? He's, well, he says it in Matthew six eleven. Give us this day our daily bread. And that, what is that? That's the Our Father. Well, the daily bread, which is rightly divided from house to house, was provided in the early Christian community by the Corbanus or fervent charity, or the Corban of Christ, is it is people sharing what they had with one another. This was the practice of pure religion. It wasn't that everybody just you know sold their property until the you know and bought food so that nobody had to go to work. Yeah, you know, we knew that if you don't work, you don't eat. But sometimes people can't work; they're sick, they're injured, what have you. They need help. Sometimes they work hard, but it's still not enough. And this is what was happening in the early church. And we see Paul taking up collections and going helping those people. And we have other people worried about the fact that you say God instead of uh, Yahweh or Jehovah or Yeshua. But they're not doing what Yeshua said to do. They have no daily ministration to take care of the needy of society. They go to the men who exercise authority one over the other to take care of the needs of their society. They have no network that spreads from Galatia to to Corinth to Ephesus and even to the British, uh, you know, the Brits. We'll call them Brits. They weren't British yet. That There's no network in their home church groups or in their, you know, Bible study groups. They still go to the men who exercise authority, to the FDRs and LBJs of the world. They still depend upon legal charity, which is the forced contributions of the people, which is the Corbin of the Pharisees. Because the Corbin of Christ, the Corbin of John the Baptist, the sacrifice of them was free will offerings, just like it was in the Old Testament before the kings. That They depend upon men who exercise authority to provide the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of their society, which destroy liberty. We know that. So that that reference, you know, talks about, he said, we should ask our Father in heaven to provide for it, our daily bread, and told Peter and the apostles to feed his sheep. And not be like the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. This reference of a 
daily bread by benefactors who did not exercise authority nor the covetous practices of the world, but exercised love and patience and hope and charity to provide a daily ministration for those who really were in need, not just for everybody who says they want free stuff, but for those who were really in need. Ezekiel 13 warns of vanity and lies that seduced and pollute my people with bread, slain souls that should not die so that souls that should die are able to live. That's that's how we do it now. You know, Ezekiel 13, 19, and we'll... And will ye pollute me amongst my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread to slay the souls that should not die, to save the souls alive that should not live? By your lying to my people that hear your lies. So what's the, what's he talking about in Ezekiel thirteen nineteen? What what's he trying to tell us? What's he trying to make uh, the truth in, in his message to us in Ezekiel thirteen nineteen? Well, you know, it's about being in the pollution of the world. Peter talks about that. We we were free, but people went back into the pollution. Just a hundred years ago in America, almost all welfare was through charity. None was through the government. Very little was through the government. And of course, we know that's not real charity. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your... Pillows. It says pillows. What does it mean, pillows? <laughs> uh, in the Hebrew, that's kof, semek, tov. And uh, it, it means uh, band, fillet, covered, amulets, false uh, phylacteries. You know what a phylactery is? That's a... You know, they have a little leather box, they put a scripture in it, and then they wrap this leather thong around their head, and that little box contains scripture, and then they wrap that around their hand and hold it in the hand. It's actually telling you a way in which to meditate. But it's the false churches, the false appearances. You know, they have, they got a white collar, they call them reverend. But they've been telling you it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods to men who exercise authority. It's not. It never was. It never will be. But wherefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am against your pillows, against your falseness, your false claims to be ministers of God, wherewith ye there hunt 
the souls to make them fly, and I will tear them from your arms, and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. You have to look at the original Hebrew to understand that. Make them fly? Hunt the souls? Nimrod was a mighty hunter instead of the Lord. And that's where most people are today. But if we uh, think about the, this phrase, free bread and circuses, that is a part of the Roman Empire. And many historians say destroyed the Roman Empire. Polybius, Plutarch, he who spread amongst them uh, these gifts ruined Rome. And and they knew it was going to do it. Some knew it. But a lot of people, they just they just wanted the freebies. We should have known it. And there were a few people at the time of FDR that knew it. But people just rejected it. And now, it's been so long since they've lived in freedom, they don't know how to do it. You just have to step out of the boat. You have to start doing what Christ actually said. Yeah, this Fred phrase... Bread and circuses in the Latin, that's panem circenses, et circenses. It's a kind of metonymic uh, force, uh, superficial means of appeasement. And of course, that's what they did. You know, everybody's got to lock down for two weeks. It became two years. That one of the reasons they got away with this is they sent stimulus checks. Which is, and they, you know, they could stay home and they could watch TV instead of work. Panem circenses. Free bread and circuses. Free bread and entertainment. And people let them lock down their country. And now there's going to be food shortages, parts shortages. The more parts they're short, the more tractors will break down and they can't get parts. You can't get parts for three, four weeks. Your crop is done. You're not going to be able to get your crop in. If this starts happening across the board, people will go hungry in America. In the case of politics, the phrase is used to describe the creation of public approval, not through exemplary or excellent public service or moral public policy, but through diversions, distractions of a mere of the mere satisfaction of the immediate shallow wantonness of a populace as in a offered uh palliative. Yeah, they you know, like there was a guy who uh, went out and critiqued pizzas. His business boom because everybody's sitting home watching TV and watching YouTube. He couldn't go out to the pizza parlors anymore, so he started having them send him frozen pizza. And uh, I think he's pulling over a million. Uh, and and I don't object to the fact that he did that, but the reality was is that it's all distractions. We need to repent. We need to think differently. 
at the height of government welfare in Rome, where the public temples provided food and money even to the poor, Plutarch warned that these benefits reduced liberty and would destroy the Roman people, ruin the Roman people. Over 200 years earlier, Polybius had warned the Roman people that an appetite for those governmental benefits would degenerate the people into perfect savages. How would they do that? Degenerate the people into perfect savages. Finding once more a monarch and a king. Well, you know, I mean, the specific quote is the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by way of the rule of force and violence. This is 150 years before John the Baptist, where the world was trying to create their utopia on, on earth with force, by forcing the contributions of the people. For hundreds of years, Rome took care of the needy of their society through charity. And that's what made them great. For over a hundred years, America did the same thing through the late 1700s and the 1800s. We took care of all social welfare through charity. Now people can't even imagine it's possible. And yet we knew, and, and Americans knew, the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. Taxation is a violence. It's it's not theft. But it is violence. Taxation is, you know, that's tribute. And the slothful should be under tribute. And because you weren't taking care of one another the way you should have, you you went again under the Nimrods and Caesars and Pharaohs of the world. The people having grown accustomed to feed at the expense of others and to depend for their livelihood on the property of others, which is what you do today, institute the rule of violence. And now, uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder their neighbor until they degenerate again, into perfect savages, and then go out and have riots and burn down stores and do billions of dollars worth of damage. And then wonder, when are they going to get the next stimulus check? And of course, because of all that, you find once more a monarch and a king. It's going to end badly. We need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to do something different that is far more righteous than what we've been doing of course the Bible warns us about these covetous practices through rulers uh, from Exodus to Proverbs you know because they tell you in Exodus 20:17, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. But yet people do. 
Deuteronomy 5.21 Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house. How can you say you're not coveting your neighbor's house when you support your public school through taxation upon his house? See, this is not a new thing. It didn't start with COVID. You've been doing going down this wrong road for a long time. Why didn't you just build the school with your own labor and, and, and money and work together? You think that's impossible? That's the way it was done. The original public schools weren't built by tax dollars. They were built by free will offerings. And there was no critical race theory taught in those schools. Well, actually, there, there might have been some sort of racism in some schools, but you had control. But people coveted their neighbor's house, and now all the public schools are established by the fact that you desire them and are willing to take your neighbor's house away from him if he doesn't pay into the school that you want. Neither shall thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, his manservant, or the maidservants of his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. Well, you can't say you're not doing that. Proverbs 23, 1 says, When thou sittest and eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee. And put a knife to your throat, if Thou be a man given to appetite. Be not desirous of his dainties. But people are. They want these benefits. And they don't care how they get them. So, if we read uh, uh, Another quote that I have from a book, Leisure and the Ancient Romans. It tells us already long ago from when we sold our vote to do, to, to, to no man, the people have uh, abdicated our duties for the people who once upon a time handed our military command High civil office, legions, everything now restrains itself and anxiously hopes for just two things. Bread and circuses. Fill my belly and entertain me. The phrase implies an erosion or at least an ignorance of civic duties amongst the concerns of the commoners to provide for the needy through a personal choice and sacrifice. If if you're not taking care of the needy of your society through free will offerings, a well-organized system, I mean, you, people talk about we have a right to a well-regulated militia. You have a right to a well-regulated system of social welfare. But it has to be one based on charity, not force. But the one that people have today is based on force. So they have returned again to the bondage of Egypt. 
Public religion is what FDR started. What LBJ continued. What Obama wants. Public religion is where the government becomes your father. It is the roots of the welfare state. It from time to time included all social welfare provided by the Patronus. Our father who art in Rome. We should not be doing it that way. If we're doing it that way, we are going to be setting us ourselves up for failure. The funds that they collect is legislated as a tax. It's it's forcing your neighbors to contribute to what you want. Absolutely the opposite of what it should be. The baptism of Herod allowed people to access the Corbin of the Pharisees. The word Corbin, it appears actually twice in the New Testament. Once it just appears as Corbin. The Corbin of the Pharisees makes the word of God to none effect. The other place, it is translated treasury because that's where you put your sacrifices in the treasury. And, and funds were held in that treasury. And of course that's the unrighteous mammon. Because you force the contributions that are divided in that system. And deposited in that system. But those that which is deposited is not the result of charity. It is the result of force. The funds were held in that treasury uh, there were actually two treasuries one was the Corbin uh, for the administration of public systems of welfare and the Pharisees and and Jesus warns about these central treasuries because they could seal them and of course we reported that the priests and high priests were living in more luxurious uh, quarters than the king himself because they had this control of the money. And you don't think so. Go see what the Pope sits on. But the Catholic Church does not take care of the needy anymore. Oh, a little bit. Token stuff. But most of the welfare is done by the state. And that began with Lady Godiva or at the time of Lady Godiva. But Lady Godiva stood against that and said, no, we can't do it that way. We cannot force the contributions of the people with a tax and take care of the needy. It will destroy us as a society. It was the new old deal that she was opposed to. She never rode through town naked. People tried to create that story a hundred years after her death so that people wouldn't see the real cause, why she, why she was saying She knew that legal charity degenerates society. Polybius knew it. Alexis Tocqueville knew it. Christ knew it. John the Baptist knew it. Peter knew it. The people today, the modern Christian doesn't know it. They're not seeking righteousness. They're seeking self-righteousness. And they go to church and pay pastors big money to make them feel good about being workers of iniquity. Because they've been up to mischief for a long, long time. 
And they need to repent. Of course, the, the apostles eventually, Paul provided uh, daily bread by appointing men elected by the people to handle the charitable contributions of the people under the overseership of the apostles and other ministers of the church. But you get to tithe to the one you think is doing a good job and the one who's not doing a good job, you don't tithe to him anymore. Same as if you find somebody who is homeless on the street, you got to know are they really homeless. you got to know if they're really in need. It's a responsibility to make sure that you're not weakening the poor, encouraging lies, encouraging deception. And of course in a network you can do that. Because you can check people out. You can find out if they're lying. Or if they're telling the truth. And you have the right to ask them. You have the right to test them. We're supposed to test all things according to Paul. See the Eucharist of Christ was not merely magical wafers of bread changed into the body and blood of Christ. The Eucharist of Christ is the free bread of Christ. The welfare of Christ. That is what the Eucharist of Christ is. Bread was both the symbol and the staff of life. Sharing it represented the social welfare of the Christian society. The Bragan Christian book He says, an organic church is simply a church that is born out of spiritual life instead of constructed by human institutions and held together by religious programs. Well, one of the religious programs is how you take care of the needy of your society, which we see Paul doing. In your spiritual church, do you do that? Do you take care of the needy of society through faith, hope, and charity? Or do you send them to... Obama and Trump and Biden to get their benefits. Do you take care of the widows and orphans yourselves? If you don't, you're not, you may be a spiritual church, but it's not the Spirit of Christ that's in your church. It's not the Spirit of righteousness that's in your church. It's the Spirit of lies and deception. And you're a stark uh, contrast to what the early church was doing. Because you're not the early church. You're the pagans. Because see that's what the pagans were doing. They had a government system of welfare. Public religion. Where they took care of the needy. By selling gulls into slavery. Or or tariffs and excise taxes on the people. He goes on to say in his book. The church should not contain any hierarchy at all. No. It uh, There is a hierarchy in the church. They're not ruling one over the other because we know Jesus forbid that you rule one over the other. But he who is to be greatest amongst you is to be servant to all. And you have the power to make sure that that's the case because you only tithe to them according to their service. If they're not doing a good job, you don't tithe to them. You're the one in charge. The church established by Jesus Christ is elder driven. The heads of every family. That's an elder. That's why it's so important that you understand that elders are the heads of families. Because you're the one that gets to decide 
who to support and who not to support on a local basis. Because the power is in your hand in the kingdom of God. And I pray that you give that decision-making power to the Holy Spirit. But these guys don't know the Holy Spirit because they don't even know Christ. Number two, the senior pastor is actually an obstacle to the full functioning body of Christ. Well, in the modern church, absolutely. But they're, they're just there to tickle your ears. I don't know what a senior pastor is. There's no mention of it in the Bible. But there are mentions of ministers, servants, and bishops. But that's this, and, and rank. Jesus said to sit down on the tens, hundreds, and thousands and rank. It's not because you know, if you sit down in a group of ten and then those, there's ten of those groups and they each pick a minister and they're sitting down in a group of ten. They don't have any authority over you. It's still elder driven. Because there is no treasury that you're putting all the money into. The treasury is in your pocket, just like Moses said. You don't put it in a golden calf. You put it in your pocket. But you need a body that is circulating the lifeblood of your community through faith, hope, and charity. Otherwise, you're going to end up having to go to the men who exercise authority one over the other. And you don't want that, now do you? No, of course not. So what are some of the other things that they talk about in here? Uh, they have, uh, they're all numbered. Let's see if I lose the numbers. Here we go. The idea of a sermon in the church gathering is pagan. Well, not really. Jesus gave sermons. There was question and answers. Paul gave sermons. There were conversations late in, in, in the night until somebody fell out the window even. They followed him from one town to the next, asking him questions and having conversations with him. But what they also had was a daily ministration that took care of all the social welfare, which there was a great need of because there were dirts in the land. You're going to see some dirts here pretty soon. Church buildings take away from the biblical teachings that the church is a people. Well, that's true. But altars were people. The altars of stone were altars of people, living stones, upon which the people chose to give their sacrifice to individual stones. Because a gathering of stones is a gathering of friends. This was the, It's always been a network of charity. What you have now is a network of force. Compelled offerings. You call yourself a church, but where's your daily ministration? Where's your free bread? How do you take care of the widows and orphans? You don't do it. You send them again to the men who exercise authority. You're pagans. Because that's the way the pagans did it. Number five. Any routine in worship is wrong. Well, you worship Biden or Trump or one of those guys. That's who you bow down and serve. That's who you send 10, 20, 30, 40% of your labor to. I'm not telling you not to pay taxes. I'm just saying that your system of taxation is a system of worship. It's a system of homage. You're giving to Caesar things that belong to God. You're giving the responsibility for your free bread to Caesar and he operates by force. And you've just become accustomed to living at the expense of others through these men who exercise authority. But that's contrary to the teachings of Christ. 
Yeah, we have a page on liturgy. You can look up liturgy and find out what it really means. Just the same as religion is the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to God is to love your neighbor, not covet his goods. No one should lead in singing. Well, the Holy Spirit is supposed to be leading in harmony in your society. And if you really had the Holy Spirit, you would know that forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you want for free is not of Christ. So number eight, tithing is completely unbiblical. Well, if you're sitting down in tens when you share, that's tithing. It's not 10% of your earnings. It's what the tens share with one another to take care of the daily ministration, which you don't even have. So we could go on in that. We don't have the time. But I will say this, that you need to repent. You need to gather together. You, this is not learning by lecture. It's learning. It's learning by doing. That's what you need to do is start doing the will of the Father. Start doing the, following the way of Christ. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.